Howdy, y'all. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I am Brian Yeager. I am glad that you're listening to this podcast. So I want to encourage you, like always, listen to this entire podcast. Don't just start listening and cut it off. We've got a lot to talk about. It's going to be an interesting study. I know that from some of the correspondence that I've had with those of you that listen regularly to this podcast, that there are various different religious backgrounds uh, in the listening audience. I understand that different churches are represented, or beliefs of different churches are represented by those that listen to this podcast. Uh, I'm very thankful for that. I hope that sometimes you are challenged. I hope that sometimes you are edified. I hope sometimes you are corrected, etc., etc. I hope that you're taking to heart the scriptures that we talk about. As with every podcast, part of the goal is to get self-examination to happen. Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, know you're not your own selves, how that Christ Jesus is in you, except you be reprobates. And even in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel, specifically Judah and Benjamin, were carried away into Babylon captivity, and they were lamenting, uh, Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. That's that's the goal when you open up the Bible, is to make sure that you are being faithful to God's Word, and if not, to make the corrections that are necessary. Well, this particular podcast is going to apply more so to people within churches of Christ or some Greek Orthodox churches, uh, those that believe that instrumental music in worship to God is sinful, mechanical instrumental music, things like pianos and harps or or drums or so forth and, and such. And that, that, of course, if you're not familiar with me very much, might automatically draw a question in your mind. Well, wh- where do you stand on this? Well, we're going to get to that in this podcast. But part of what I want to do is draw upon the, the subject matter of consistency. Uh, there are some things right that people do, and they say, you know, we're, we're going to do what the Bible says and so forth and so on. We see in the days of Jesus that some people said the right things, but then they didn't do the right things. In Matthew 23, 1 through 3, it says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but knew not after their works, for they say and do not. So it's like, hey, they say the right things, but they don't do them. You know, it's kind of like the parent who says, do as I say and not as I do. Well, that's wrong. And it's not an understanding problem that the target uh, audience for the most part of this podcast. It's not an understanding issue. Uh, In Matthew chapter 21, for example, and we see this with people, sometimes people are wrong, and and you might think, well, maybe they don't understand. No, no, a lot of times they do understand. A lot of times they get the principle. In Matthew 21, 28 through 32, it says, What think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went, and he came to the second and said, Likewise, he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. 
Jesus saying to them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go in the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterwards, that ye might believe him. So it's, it's look, you know, they got it. They knew how to answer the question right. They knew the right reasoning. But the problem was hypocrisy. They said and did not. In Romans chapter 2, there, of course, when you're looking at the church in Rome, there's division there between the Jews and the Gentiles within the congregation. It's very clearly laid out in the first 11 chapters where Paul was trying to use argumentation uh, from the scriptures of old and reasoning to bring them back uh, to God. Of course, he was an inspired apostle. So when I say Paul, the Holy Spirit was using that reasoning. And in the midst of Paul making some corrective analytical teaching, he said in Romans two seventeen through 29, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approveth the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of law. Did you catch that? They knew his will. They were instructed out of law. And he continues, And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest not thyself? That thou should preach a man should not steal, dost thou steal? That thou sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. For circumcision verily profit, if thou keep the whole law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, be, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So hypocrisy is the problem there. They knew, they understood, but they chose not to obey. And because of that, they were blasphemed. Well, in this day, in this modern day, there are many groups of people that scripturally identify themselves with proper terminology, like the Church of Christ. I mean, obviously, the church belongs to Christ. He built it, Matthew 16, 13 through 18. He established it. He's the head of the church, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Uh, obviously, the church belongs to him. It's great to identify yourself as his people. And among many that identify themselves as the Church of Christ, they, they will use phrases. They will say things like, we speak where the Bible speaks, and we remain silent by where the Bible is silent. They will say, we call things by Bible names and do things in Bible ways. Uh, they will say, we, we hold to the Scriptures as our creed, and the Bible is the only book that we live by. Okay, great. All sounds wonderful. But among churches of Christ, and uh, you know th this is a varying thing. If you do some research, um, there are many different practices among churches of Christ. 
while they claim autonomy, most churches of Christ are somewhat organizationally tied to something. Like among some churches of Christ, they have common colleges like Freed Hardeman University or Harding University or Abilene Christian uh, University. And, and some people would call those liberals and then some would call themselves conservatives. And maybe they don't associate with a university, but a preaching school like Memphis School of Preaching or Texas School of Preaching or East Tennessee School of Preaching. I'm not sure if that's what it's called anymore, uh, but back in 20 some years ago when I was familiar with it, uh, is what it's called. And, or, or there might be some that associate with Sunset School of Preaching or greater organizations like World Video Bible School or the, the Gospel Broadcasting Network. Uh, those churches associate with themselves. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you will have those that associate themselves with Florida College, which is kind of it's kind of interesting. They call themselves non-institutional, but you know, a college is a human organization. It's a human institution, and they train and teach the Bible. They have worship services there, so forth and so on. Well, the commonality of all those groups is that they say we speak where the Bible speaks and remain silent where the Bible is silent. But then there's there's other groups. Uh, there's a groups in, in Texas, for example, about 10 hours from uh, where I am up in the Denton area. One time I came into uh, contact with a group of churches that there were the belief of using one container from which to drink the fruit of the vine. Uh, and those, those congregations were not organized based on a college or a preaching school, but they had a group of preachers, and I can't remember their names for the life of me, that kind of went around those churches, and those churches were basically just identified themselves with preachers. Now, they didn't believe in having a local preacher. They believed that those preachers needed to keep on the move so they would go around from congregation to congregation to congregation, perverting some scriptural principles. My, my point is this. All of them claim autonomy, but the majority really aren't. They're tied to some kind of bigger thing. Well, among all of that, one of the biggest commonalities is not using mechanical instrumental music in worship. That's one thing they have in common. And the argument is that there is no authority in the New Testament for mechanical instrumental music. Now, among these churches, understanding that there's all kinds of different divisions there's different ministries, some churches that divide up into small groups, group A, B, and C, or this or that, or, you know, young people, old people, all kinds of different things. There's the colleges, the quote-unquote brotherhood publications. You're known to be aligned with a certain group of people if you have these certain brotherhood publications, or if you have gospel meeting schedules with a certain group of preachers, because these groups of preachers are identified by a common belief, like they, they, they're associated with these things or these things. These congregations have social activities and social meals. Some of them have online worship services, like I mentioned earlier. There's even the broadcasting networks like GBN. Uh, they have their schools. Some, some even have singing schools uh, producing different types of things and with song leaders and, and groups. They have meetings where they're taught how to sing. Uh, there's practices uh, within these churches where there's Bible camps. There's terminology like unity and diversity. Uh, everything I'm listing right now, I have a point to. 
There's things that are listed like this is a fellowship issue or is not a fellowship issue. This is a salvation issue or is not a salvation issue. There are churches that have recreational buildings, special events. Some have graduation celebrations. Uh, some have separate funds for things. They take up different collections like church building funds, church restoration funds, uh, preacher appreciation day uh, funds. Sometimes they have visiting preachers come in and they'll take up a special collection just to give to that visiting preacher, uh, in addition to the first day of the week collection, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. There's uh, various works that you see them do, selling of re religious materials and books. Maybe they have a lectureship, and they'll sell the lectureship book or the lectureship videos. There's vacation Bible schools, and those are different too because the materials that they use during the vacation Bible school kind of sets them apart from other churches of Christ. There are some churches of Christ that have food pantries. There are some churches of Christ that, even though they're opposed to mechanical instrumental music and worship because you don't read about it in the Bible, they use pitch pipes. There are some that have mobile Lord's Supper. They'll take the Lord's Supper to people's homes. They'll take the Lord's Supper to nursing homes and different types of things rather than within the assembly, Acts 27 through 11. Some will have a makeup Lord's Supper. Like if you miss the early service, you can come to a later Sunday service and get the Lord's Supper. Some will just, with their online worship service, they'll have a drive by the building and pick up your Lord's Supper kit uh, and then take it all while we're online whenever you're watching either the live or replay of the live service. There are some churches that are opposed to mechanical instrumental music that have children's church. They have things like church-sponsored puppet shows among churches of Christ that oppose instrumental music and other forms of, of entertainment, and on and on and on and you could go. Now, everything I just talked about, you don't find in all 66 books of the Bible. None of it. You don't find any of it. And the way it's generally authorized among those churches is that they say it's an expedient or it's generic authority. An expedient for what? Well, small groups are an expedient for edification. Okay, so why isn't instrumental music an expedient for edification? They'll say the organizations like the singing schools are to help people sing. Okay, well, why doesn't instrumental music help people sing? They'll say, well, we're commanded to teach, but we're not told how. Now, that's a, that's, that's a fallacy on itself. We are shown how by many examples to teach the Word of God. Nonetheless, to come back to the point, the argument is, you know, we're told how. Well, we're, uh, we're told to sing. And then the response would be, yeah, but we're told to sing and make melody in our heart. And by making melody in our heart, that excludes mechanical instrumental music. Okay, well, by teaching the Word of God, why doesn't that exclude the basketball gymnasium to bring people to Christ? It's a quote-unquote form of evangelism, but it is it really? Uh, the arguments don't hold up, especially when you come back to the, we speak where the Bible speaks and we remain silent where the Bible's silent. I appreciate that statement. It was originated, I think, in a movement of men, that which is a whole other issue. How can you be the church that Jesus built if you were born out of a movement? Well, you're not. Colossians 3.17 says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So, Yes, let's speak where the Bible speaks and remain silent where the Bible's silent. I think that statement probably originated from 1 Peter 4.11, though I'm kind of ignorant to the history, 
says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, hear, hear this real, real carefully. You, you, depending on what your religious background is, right now you might be irritated by me. You might be wondering where I'm going with this lesson. I hope you're going to keep listening because we're, we're going to discover some scriptures here that are going to give you a lot to think about. Uh, maybe you're just curious. Maybe you've never come into uh, contact with people that, that have many of the beliefs that we're talking about. Or maybe you use mechanical instrumental music wherever you assemble and you do some of these other things and you're wondering, well, why, why are you speaking of them negatively? Well, listen, the Bible doesn't speak of them at all. So if we're in the business, to use a very loose term, if we're in the work of pleasing God, we should be using His book, right? I mean, it's a pretty simple thing. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a child of the Almighty. I need to know what His will is and stick to His will. I want you to imagine for a moment, just a little carnal illustration. I want to come back to a point, and then we're going to move on. Uh, if you went out to eat, and your waiter came to your table, and, and you placed your order from the menu, and the waiter said, okay, uh, I'll be right back with your your order. And let's say you ordered a certain kind of sandwich, maybe a turkey club and fries or something. I don't know. All of a sudden, that just started to sound good to me. Haven't had a turkey club in a long time. Uh, and, and And the waiter comes back with a massive steak, a baked potato, a salad, and a cheesecake, and all kinds of other trimmings that, hey, that all sounds good to me too, right? Maybe I'm getting hungry. Uh, you'd look at the waiter and you say, this is, this is not what I ordered. Especially if you're like me and you're on a budget. I mean, you're seeing all that food and you know, this is way beyond what I came here prepared to pay for. And if the waiter just looked at you and said, well, you didn't say not to bring you this, 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 and this, how would you respond? You see, this biblical authority is just as simple as that. In fact, the work of pleasing God is simple. When you look at Christians in the first century, what they were required to have to be able to worship God are things that they had in their home. I mean, a lot of times they were meeting in homes, like in the home of Philemon, Philemon 1 verse 2, or Aquila and Priscilla, Romans 16, 4 and 5. What they had was there. Unleavened bread was part of what Jews had uh, around. It was part of their tradition, part of their food. This, this is something they knew how to do, and it's fairly easy to make. Uh, when, when you're looking at flour and uh, wheat flour and, and oil, very simple to make, already part of what would be uh, in the household. Uh, fruit of the vine, easy for them to obtain. They didn't need all these other things because there's simplicity in Christ. Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. All of these organizations and these extra biblical works and these quote-unquote uh, church ministries, they're in addition to God's will, 
And they also complicate the simplicities in Christ. So the point of my podcast and what we're going to talk about going forward is if you can understand we're to only do what is authorized in the New Testament to please God because we're under the law of Christ. And, and the, that, the new covenant is the law of Christ. You know, bear you, know one another, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2, also called the perfect law of liberty in James 1.25 and James 2 and verse 12. So there is a law that we're under. I want to follow it. I want to do it the right way. But listen, how about doing it all the right way? How about doing it the way that we need to? Well, in Matthew chapter 23, it says in verse 23 and 24, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done, and not leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. We, we want to do all. We want to do all that's pleasing to God. When Jesus sent to the apostles out into the world, Matthew 28, in the context, 16 through 20, he's talking to the 11, because Judas at this point is dead, and Matthias has not yet been appointed, which we see in Acts 1. So in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spake unto them, the eleven, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Notice, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. If you're alive in the first century, and the apostles are coming and they're, they're converting you to Christ, and then afterwards they're teaching you, all things that Christ commanded them. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.21, Timothy is an evangelist. So I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. So if we're going to take the, the stand, we're going to speak where the Bible speaks and remain silent where the Bible is silent because of 1 Peter 4.11 or other verses. Good but do it all the way. Don't just say, okay, but God didn't say we couldn't over here. Well, God didn't say you couldn't use instrumental music in the New Testament either. Don't just say we're going to apply generic authority. God didn't say the how. Well, you know, what's the difference with that argument in mechanical instrument music? If you're a reasonable person, it's not different. How about just stick to the word? Now, why is it, for those of you that maybe are not part of Churches of Christ, why is it that mechanical instrumental music is not used in worship? Well, I'm going to take you through some passages in the New Testament. After Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26, 30, says, When they sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. The same thing in, in a parallel account in Mark 14, 26. The point is, they sung. They didn't play. Paul and Silas, two individual Christians, not just a corporate worship setting, they're in prison. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. They sang. 
And Romans chapter 15, in referring to prophecy, the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy is written, for this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. The church in Corinth was abusing spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is dealing with spiritual gifts. In that context of 1 Corinthians 14, 15, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. In Ephesians 5, 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12, in reference to a prophecy, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And then finally, to the individual, James 5, 13, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. There's a pattern there. It's sing. Sing, 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 or sung. But you get the point, right? Well, that's the pattern. It's simplicity in the New Testament. It's sing, make melody in your heart, sing with grace in your heart. Sing what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Whether you're within the assembly, in a prison, or even if you're outside of both and you're in a merry mood, sing psalms. So that's the pattern. That's the pattern on earth with Christians. So if you have chosen only to sing because you do not want to do what's introduced through the docks and her men, you're on to something. It is, you know, pianos and, and praise teams and things of that nature are things you don't read about in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 7, 7 through 9, Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such things you do. And he said to them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. So, you know, there in the context, you go back to verse 1, if you want to read the context, the Jews had implemented, in addition to what was recorded in the law of Moses, they had implemented some of their own practices. By doing so, they made their worship vain, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. If your mentality is that you only want to do what is right, once again, you're on the right path. This is not the wrong path to be on, it's the right path to be on. In a context dealing with matters of conscience, the weak and strong conscience, in Romans 14, 23, says, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Well, how do we obtain faith? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Same book, written to the same people, Romans 10, 17. So if I'm not getting it from the Word of God, if it's not from the system of faith that, that my personal faith comes from, then I ought not do it. If you are of that persuasion, you're in line with the Scriptures. If you're going to require clear instructions because you want to please God, great. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you've received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Amazing. This is why I am not going to be part of a congregation that uses mechanical instrumental music and worship to God. It's why I'm not going to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in my home 
even by myself with the accompaniment of mechanical instrumental music because as I've searched through the New Testament, Christians were not instructed to do so, nor do we find any of them doing so in earth, either in corporate worship or uh, individually. Now, here we go. Here's where our study is going to even take some more depth and layers. Remember that long list of things that I was talking about going way back to ministries and colleges and everything else earlier in the lesson? You don't read about them anywhere in the Bible at all. And here's, here's my head scratcher, folks. Here's where I've got to part ways with modern-day churches of Christ. Uh, don't want to have to say this, but it's just the truth. There are so many extra-biblical things in the majority of groups calling themselves churches of Christ. They're not using mechanical instrumental music, but folks... I'm persuaded that that's just out of tradition. And the reason I'm persuaded that is if they used the same line of reasoning, they wouldn't do the hundreds and thousands of other things you don't read about in the Bible that they're doing as well. Let me take this to yet another layer. You don't read about Christian colleges or colleges of that sort or anything like that uh, separating children's churches and church-sponsored entertainment, congregational-sponsored entertainment, the selling of religious materials, all these other... You don't read them about in all 66 books of the Bible. So here, here's this. Why I titled this lesson, If You Believe Instrumental Music Is Sinful, Then... Dot, dot, dot. You actually do read about mechanical instrumental music in the Bible. It was approved in the Old Testament. There's a whole psalm. Psalm 150 says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him in His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise Him with timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And in John's heavenly vision, symbolic visions of heaven, in Revelation 5, 6-8, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, in the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are of seven spirits of God sent forth in all the earth. And he came and took the brook out of the right hand of them that sat upon the throne. And when they had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. You read about mechanical instrument music in the Old Testament and symbolically in heaven. I mean, you can at least turn your Bible. And find mechanical instruments of music. But the hundreds and thousands of things that I've seen among churches of Christ over the years, they're not found in all 66 books of the Bible. They're authorized by, well, the elders said we could do it, or, well, there's generic authority, or, well, that's an expedient. That's the general human logic that is used. And by the way, all three of those could be used to authorize mechanical instrumental music. So I don't get it. I don't understand how the inconsistency is not seen. I'm not asking if you're listening to this and you're getting ticked off right now. I'd understand why you would be, but please listen. 
instrumental music predates the law of Moses. I, I know when I first heard mechanical instrumental music being preached against, um, I heard it like this. Instruments of music were invented by David. That's false. Genesis 4, and, and, and I know you can go to the scripture, but that's not the point in the King James Version. That's not the point that's being made. But in Genesis 4.21, his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handled the harp and organ. I mean, you're talking about Genesis 4. When the children of Israel came up out of Egypt, in Exodus 15, 20, 21, Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances, and Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Timbrels and dances there, prior to the giving of the law of Moses. After the law of Moses was instituted, and after a great period of time where Israel sins, they go through... Uh, Moses and Joshua, and then they go through judges. They've appointed kings. Uh, the ten tribes of Israel had been carried away into Assyrian captivity. Judah and Benjamin had been taken into Babylonian captivity and how have come out of Babylonian captivity. Notice what's written in Ezra 3, 8 through 10. Now in the second year of the coming in the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all that were come out of captivity under the Levites, and that were come out of the captivity under Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upwards to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Hindadad, with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest and their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. You, you, you following all that? Mechanical instrumental music goes back to Genesis 4 and forward to the book of Revelation. If you can reason that, but Jesus and the apostles didn't instruct us or show us to use them when we worship God, how in the world are you not using that same reason with all these other inventions? It's mind-boggling to me because if I wanted to argue mechanical instrumental music and worship to God, I don't think the argument is very hard to make. I mean, just from what I've presented right now, God has been pleased with it. And, you know, I could give you additional argumentation. I, if, if I wanted to take the position of mechanical instrumental music, back many years ago, back in the early 90s, I taught a teenage class in a congregation and when I was teaching those teenagers, one of the things that I did uh, is I would take uh, a, a position that I thought that they would run into in quote-unquote religious discussion, and I would take the false position, and I would ask them to answer uh, with the truth. And, and I had teachers that did that to me when I was younger as well, uh, and one of, the, one of the arguments that I made one time, I, I remember... I remember this young fella, his name was Matthew. He was just perplexed. He said, I've never heard that argument before. Well, well here it is. 
You remember in Ezra 3, I didn't construct it this exact way, but, but it's nonetheless the argument. Remember in Ezra 3, there were mechanical instrumental music in the temple. And you could go back to the days of Solomon when the temple was first made as well. You can prove that very easily, right? Where did early Christians first assemble? Acts 2.46, they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Hmm. Breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness, singing his heart. Where, where, where did they? They continued daily in the temple. In Acts 5.42, that's Acts 5.42, and daily in the temple in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Talking about the apostles there who had been beaten and then freed and joyously so. Uh, the temple. Well, what was in the temple? Mechanical instrument music. So, at least there, in the presence of mechanical instrumental music, right? I, I come back to my question. How can you believe instrumental music is sinful, but then do these hundreds, if not thousands of things that are not even mentioned in any of the 66 books of the Bible? If you could put together a lesson on God being pleased with mechanical instrumental music, you could use a lot of scriptures from the Old Testament and some in Revelation. Yet, you're in those churches are able to see through all of that and understand that you're under the New Testament of Jesus Christ and you're to obey the New Testament teachings of Jesus Christ and then that you're not under the Old Testament. In fact, if I were in a discussion with somebody who rightly believed that mechanical instrumental music ought not be used today in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to God, and I said, well, look back here in the Old Testament, they would take me through scriptures. They would, hey, Romans 7, 1 through 6, and this is right. It says, know you not, brethren, I speak to them that know the law, how the law had dominion over the man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if her hus the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you have become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we are in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we are held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of letter. You would be able to take me to Romans 10. You would say, hey, Romans 10, 1 through 4, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves on the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. If I said, well, yeah, yeah, but look, it's in the Psalms and, and it's, it's prior to the law of Moses Someone would point out to me and say, okay, circumcision was prior to the law of Moses. What, Genesis 17, right? God instituted it with Abraham, and then it was also commanded under the law of Moses. And somebody would even say, hey, Galatians 5, 4 says, Christ has become of no effect on you. Whosoever you're justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. And they would say, just, just look at it. Look at the scriptures. Uh, you could see we're, we're not under the law of Moses. We're not under what Abraham was under. We're under the law of Christ. Jesus died 
to put it into effect. And you could go on. You could you could take me and have me read Hebrews chapters 5 through 10. I mean, the priesthood has changed. The law has changed. If you can reason through that, that's complicated, by the way. That's complicated. There's a lot of thought there. Um, I, I, would, I, would, I would imagine, and, you know, I, I really don't have to say I would imagine. I've had a lot of conversations over the years with people that believe mechanical instrumental music is wrong. And then when I press them on these other things and use some of this very same reasoning, they're baffled. So I don't have to say I would imagine people wouldn't know how to answer it. I, just, I know a lot of them can't. Um, maybe you'll listen to this podcast and you'll say, I'd want to prove you wrong. Look, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm only going to point this out. If you can understand we need scriptural authority for individuals and churches to do things, then I'm going to ask you to search all 66 books of the Bible where you're going to find that a lot of what you're doing isn't there. You're not doing it because God told you to do it. You're doing it out of human tradition and obedience to the doctrines of men. Now, how's God feel about that? Whether we use the Old or the New Testament, do we not find that we need approval for the things that we say and do? In Numbers chapter 9, under the old law, Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. I'm just beginning at verse 1. And the first month of the second year after they would come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel also keep the Passover as his appointed season. In the fourteenth day of this month at even, you shall keep it in his appointed season. According to all the rites of it and according to all the ceremonies thereof, you shall keep it. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the first month at even in the wilderness of Sinai. According to all the Lord commanded Moses, so did the children of Israel. And there were certain men who were defiled by the dead body of a man, that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on that day. And those men said unto him, We are defiled by the dead body of a man. Wherefore are we kept back, that we may not offer an offering in the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel? And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. If you continue to read, the Lord gave instructions. You know what Moses and Aaron didn't do? Moses didn't say, I'm the chosen deliverer. I'll render my opinion and we'll take it up for a vote. Aaron did not say, I'm, I'm the head of the priesthood. What I say will go. This is a ceremonial practice. Uh, I have the authority here. No. Let's see what God says. Stand still. Don't do anything. Let's see what God says. What do you think would happen if churches today took that approach? Let me tell you what would happen. A lot of things would stop. A lot of things would stop. A lot of those things that I mentioned in the earlier part of this lesson that you don't read anywhere in the Bible, the organizations that have been created, the, the funds that have been collected, the works that have been instituted, they'd stop because the Lord hadn't said anything about them. You're not doing God's work. You're doing man's work. You cease to be the Lord's church. You become man's church. Listen, David was a man after God's own heart. That's what Acts 13, 22 says. When he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of course, that's prior to him uh, committing adultery and numbering the children of Israel and murder. 
David was a man after God's own heart. But David couldn't just do whatever he wanted. Even if it had sound reasoning. David's the king. He's a prophet. He's God's chosen. No man on earth can say any of that today. Not only that, in the account that I'm about to give you, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the man after God's own heart wants to do something. I want you to notice how he even involves the input of a prophet. So you have two prophets, David being a prophet also. The Lord spake by him, 2 Samuel 23 and verse 2. Notice notice what happens in 2 Samuel 7. Beginning of verse 1, it came to pass when the king, that's David, sat in his house. The Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies. The king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that's in thy heart, for the Lord is with thee. Now that's reasonable conclusion. God had given him rest from all his enemies. He chose him to be the king. Nathan has an opinion. What David wants to do, it's not, he's not at this point in time, he's not saying, yo, Nathan, I like the chick next door. I want to commit adultery with her. No, he, it's a just thing. I want to build something for God. How can I have something better than what God has? Go do with all that in heart. Lord's with thee, right? Well, it came to pass that night. The word of the Lord came unto Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shall thou build me an house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but I have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I command to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye me not a house of cedar? Oh, man, David and Nathan are wrong. They thought beyond God's desire. They didn't stand still and see what the Lord had to say. They thought and then gave their own opinions and thought they could go forward and do so. No, no. See, that's all wrong. Get that. A man after God's own heart, his chosen elect king. You know, and I know, if you've studied the Bible even briefly, if you've looked at the new covenant, Christ sits upon the throne of his father, David. And David did not have the authority to go and carry on a good idea, even with another prophet's counsel and agreement to do so. Come on, folks. Come on. This is, this is, I, it just blows my mind. It blows my mind. I, I want to be able to reach out to so many people in churches of Christ and embrace them as my brothers and sisters in Christ. But they're doing so many things that God has never spoken. And it just breaks my heart that on the surface, it appears that there's the ability to reason through difficult things. Mechanical instrumental music is not a simple subject matter. It's very complex. I mean, it's easy. I I understand why so many churches use mechanical instrumental music because it's throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, as we've looked at, in heaven. It takes a great deal of integrity with the Scriptures 
and Bible study and a great deal of only wanting to do what God has said, to reason through those scriptures and see Jesus and the apostles did not tell us to do it, so we won't. David is a great example. You know the prophets, which David again was one? He could not give his own interpretation of a thing. In 2 Peter chapter 1, knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. When David went away from speaking as, he was, uh, from, uh, as from the Holy Ghost, he got in trouble. When we depart from what God reveals, we're in trouble. Hey, look, look at the King of Kings with me for a minute. He's the only begotten of the Father. I mean, there's no greater example of a man that had authority on earth than him, right? In fact, when he's transfigured, in Matthew 17, beginning of verse 1, after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he spake, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice came out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. That is God the, uh, God the Father giving Jesus authority. We read earlier, all power, meaning all authority in heaven and earth, Matthew 28, 18. But notice, notice Jesus' mentality. In John 5, 19, then answered Jesus, said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For whatsoever things he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. In verse 30 of John 5, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek my, my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. In John 6, 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And John 8, 28 and 29. Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. And John 12, 49 and 50. For I have not spoken to myself, but the Father which has sent me, He gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. And I know this commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said to me, so I speak. Look, even Jesus with all authority, he said, I'm not going to go beyond that. The apostles were ambassadors for Christ. They had the authority to be in his place. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. They had the authority to speak in the place of Christ. But notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things I write unto you are commandments of the Lord. In Galatians, the first chapter, in verse 8 through 12, but though we or an angel from heaven, so an apostle or a messenger from heaven, preach any other gospel on you, that which we have preached in you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel in you, that which you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but 
by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The ambassadors for Christ did not have authority to go off the script and do whatever they wanted. Listen, listen carefully. The same reason, and, and if, you're, if you're in a group of people that use mechanical instrumental music and worship to God, you got to challenge yourself. You got to say, when did Jesus do that? When did the apostles do that? When did faithful congregations in the first century do that? And you're going to find the answer is never, not once, no mention of, which means you ought to stop, right? I mean, because it's about pleasing God. It's not about what tickles your ears. And it's a departure from the simplicity that's in Christ. What do you think it looked like when they were scattered? You know, Acts 8, uh, 1 through 4, uh, they were packing up the organ and all the other instruments and running off to worship in caves and hidden places away from persecution? No. Mechanical instrumental music was not instructed by the Lord. They didn't use it. They didn't have it. If you can reason that, not using mechanical instrumental music and worship, why don't you just consistently apply that? Why don't you follow the 1 Corinthians 4, 6 principle that these things, brethren, have I figured transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written that none of you be puffed up one against another. Why, why not just reason that? Whether you look at the Old Testament or the New Testament, and I'm simplifying it there, we know the Old Testament covers a period of time before the law of Moses, then in Exodus 20 forward, you're under the law of Moses, and then the prophets and the Psalms and so forth. But, but under that old, old law, Deuteronomy 12, 32, whatsoever thing I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto nor diminish from it. And in the New Testament, we, we've already read Galatians 1, 8, 9, but uh, other passages like Revelation 22, 18, 19, a letter written to the seven churches in Asia, near right the end of that conclusion, it says, I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. So we don't add to it. If you're capable of reason, you say we don't do what Old Testament saints did, whether that was before the law of Moses or after. We don't circumcise. It's not bound today because we don't have authority to do it. You, you can reason and you can say we don't do what's in heaven because we're not the angels of God. We do what was instructed on earth. Okay, that takes a great deal of thought, integrity, and honesty. Apply it consistently, folks. There should be no other doctrine taught. If you're gonna if you're gonna wear the right name, do the right things. If if you're going to assemble and say we are the church of Christ or the church of God or the church that meets in whatever city, and you're going to identify Christ as your head, then follow it. Now, if you don't want to follow it, just identify yourself as somebody else. Call yourself the name of the preacher. If your preacher's name is John Smith, I'm you know, I'm not. I don't have a specific John Smith in mind. I just picked a common first name and a common last name. If your preacher's name is John Smith, call yourself the Smithites, the Church of John Smith. I mean, do it. I mean, the Mormons are 
you know, they call themselves Mormons. They have their own book, the Book of Mormon, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They've gone off and they follow the Watchtower. The Baptists, they follow Baptist doctrines and creeds from the 16, 1700s and modifications that have been made ever since. The Roman Catholic Church, the their church is headed by the Pope. I mean, be like them and, and be honest. Go do what you want. I mean, you're not going to go to heaven because you're following the doctrines of men, but at least you won't be a hypocrite. At least you're telling people right from the jump that you're, you're an organization of men and women following the doctrines of men and women. If you're going to be Christians, 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, Paul tells the evangelist Timothy, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge them that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Just no other doctrine. We're not going to teach any other doctrine. We're going to look at the first century church, and we're not going to duplicate everything churches did in the first century because some of what they did was sinful, right? Like the church in Corinth. I mean, when you read First and Second Corinthians, what a disaster. But you're going to take from the bad and pull out the good. That takes time. It takes reason. It takes honest Bible study. We're not going to have a fornicator among you like they did in First Corinthians chapter 5, so forth and so on. But you're, you're going to apply the Scriptures right. Why? Because the doctrine of Christ ought to be, you know, if you're going to be the Lord's body, how you're going to identify yourself, there's different terms in the New Testament you could identify yourselves by. That's not the part of our lesson today. But we'll just say, if you're going to call yourself the church of Christ, then be that. And by being that, 1 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul says he sent to them Timothy, who is his beloved son, faithful in the Lord, who would bring into remembrance his ways, which were in Christ as he taught everywhere in every church. Teach what was taught that was from God today as it was then when the Lord established his doctrine. Because when you depart from the teaching, the doctrine of Christ, you depart from Christ. And 2 John verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. You depart from the doctrine of Christ, you depart from God. You know, years ago, there was a fellow named Tony back in, oh, I think this was 2000, 2001, something like that, a preacher that, that I know and I appreciated. He came and stayed with me when I was preaching in Butler, Pennsylvania. I want to say it was 2000 because we, we lived in a one-bedroom house uh, at that time and um, I remember our kids slept in the attic part of the house, and and uh, we gave Tony part part of part of part of that to stay when he stayed with us. Well, there were some things that I wanted to study with him about, and one of them was uh, orphan homes. And I asked him, where where in the Bible do we get orphan homes? And he said, Well, you know, let me give some thought to this. Now, this man had been preaching longer than I was alive. And I thought he'd be able to give an answer because the, he was part of churches of Christ that uh, supported orphan homes. Uh, so, okay, uh, 
good. Take some time and, and think it through and give me an answer. The next day, uh, he came to me. Um, I had a library in the basement of our house, uh, books that I no longer have, and I had uh, quite extensive s- set of commentaries, and he came to me and he gave me a commentary on the book of James uh, written by Guy in Woods, and I told him, I said, you know, Tony, I, I appreciate you handed me this book, but it kind of is in my library. You don't think I've read it already? And especially when I have a question like this, you don't think that I consulted all the resources that I had available to me? I said, the answer is just not there. The scriptural authority is not there. It's a lot of a lot of work around the truth. I don't remember the wording of it. I mean, that's been a long time ago. It was 2000, if uh, my mind is is right. And I said, but but I'll tell you, it wasn't convincing, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be part of, of uh, the orphan home thing. And, and as we were talking, uh, he really didn't know what to say, but he's part of the system. And he said, well, do you have a problem with individual Christians sending money to orphan homes? And I said, well, yeah, I have a problem with the orphan homes existence, period. That the only verse in the New Testament that you're going to appeal to is James 1.27, and that's not teaching to establish an organization. Who pays for it? That's secondary discussion. So I want you to think about this. I'm going to do a podcast on Sunday on James 1.27. I want you to come back and listen to that. Uh, it's a lot to think about. And it's a tradition, even among what is called non-institutional churches of Christ, there's adoption groups. And they don't take, at least overtly, church contributions, but but it still exists. It's an organization. Is that really what God meant in James 1.27? See, here's where churches of Christ just, it's just insane to me. It's insane that you don't read about orphan homes in all 66 books of the Bible, anywhere. And when debates happened over these things in the past, it was about local laws, civil laws, and how things had to be conducted, ah, that, that's not what we're under. We're under the law of Christ. If I'm supposed to take care of the fatherless, I need to find out how Jesus wants me to take care of the fatherless. I need to consult His doctrine, right? Yeah, that's not what's happening, folks. Like all these other works, the people that can reason their way out of mechanical instrumental music just simply do not apply the same hermeneutic, the same method of Bible study to hundreds and thousands of other things. The Bible teaches us to test everything and hold to what's good. Two contexts, in Ephesians 5, 6-11, says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not therefore partakers with them. So are you in a group that's doing all kinds of things. If you walk up to the elders, the preacher, if you don't have either in the congregation that you're a member of, you walk up to some knowledgeable men or women and you say, hey, where's the authority for this? And they can't give you some clear authority. They're the children of disobedience. The Bible says don't be partakers with them. It says, for you were sometimes darkness, but now you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for through the Spirit and all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what's acceptable in the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. So two scriptural contexts teaching you to test and then hold on to what's good. 
Ephesians 5, 6 to 11, teaching you even further not to have fellowship with what is not good, what is darkness. So the typical responses are so many times, well, do you have a water fountain where you assemble? So just for clarity's sake, um, I'm in El Paso, Texas, and the congregation that I'm a member of is meeting in a home. You know, uh, I'm not saying you have to meet in a home. They met in places other than homes. We already talked about that. Met on temple grounds in Acts 2.46. But we meet in a home. Uh, the church, the collection is not used for any of, any of the things that you don't read about in the first century. And when you ask me a direct question, I'm able to give you book, chapter, and verse. Because it's New Testament Christianity and simplicity. Myself and my brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not in fear because we have to use human argumentation and human reasoning. You know, there's a way that seemeth right in the man, but the end thereof, the ways of death, Proverbs 16, 25. We don't have to use human reasoning to authorize the things we do and say. It's just real cut, cut clear, dry scripture. Very simple. We're, we're not sitting on hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank for this or that. We don't have a bank account. Uh, we're not sitting on all these works and ministries and organizations. We assemble in one room and do what Christians did in the first century, plain and simple. It's awesome. But modern day churches have become a Babylon of human systems have created all kinds of works that you don't read about in all 66 books of the Bible. It's not even, is that in the New Testament? It's not anywhere, but they're still being practiced. If you understand that it's wrong to do what's not authorized by Christ, will you consistently apply that? And James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Unless somebody confuse you, that's not talking about the Old Testament. If you keep reading, it says, For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou become a transgressor of law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Hmm. Just give you that contextual tidbit there so that you don't get that wrong. If you're in that system, come out from among them. We have members of the congregation here that have moved here because they couldn't find congregations in their cities or states. Sister that moved here from Michigan, brother that moved here from Dallas, Texas area, brother, br brother and sister in Christ that have moved here from Mississippi, brother that was in the military and had been to Arizona and, and uh, Maryland and Korea and decided he was going to get out of the military and come back here to be among faithful people and uh, they're, they're soon to be members of the congregation here. I should phrase it that way. Uh, and so forth. Come out from among them. You know, in that 2 Corinthians 6, beginning of verse 14, says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's not talking about marriage, by the way. It's talking about fellowship. It says, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them and walk in them and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore, this is chapter 7 and verse 1, 
these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If you're among this human doctrines, these systems, come out from among them. Be separate. Be God's daughters and God's sons. Embrace the simplicity of New Testament Christianity. Don't get caught up in the convoluted system of human logic and reason. You know, when I've had these discussions, and by the way, uh, I've had this, these types of discussions thousands upon thousands of times. I've been doing this work for a long time, trying to reason people out of these errors for a long time. If you're among it, I can help you. I was there a long, long time ago. I came out from among it and, was, and, and have been separate. I can help you. Let's study together. My phone number is 915-525-5794. Call me. We can reason from the scriptures. We can study. This podcast, you know, me verbally teaching, preaching the word, like 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2 says, verbally teaching the word. To me, it's pretty simple. Uh, If you're a reasonable person, I don't think you're going to have questions about the particular subject matter. If you do, it might be, why don't we use mechanical instrumental music? Because your line of reasoning isn't consistent. But if you get that you need Bible authority, you need authority from the law of Christ for all that you say and do, you, you, should, you should be on the right path coming out of this system of man's doctrines. And I'd, I'd love to help you. You can email me at brian at wordsoftruth.net, but eventually it'd be better if we talk. A lot is missed in written correspondence. It's why when you read letters like 3 John, um, John wanted to see them face to face. It's why when Paul was correcting them on the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 34, in verse 34 it says that he would set the rest in order when he come. You know, it is just better to have direct contact. The most direct contact we can have quickly is over the phone. Or if you're in a foreign country, we can communicate via uh, apps like Skype. You can visit my wordsoftruth.net website. Uh, But again, I'm offering up my time, no charge, no fee, no games. Plain and simple, as direct as this podcast and all my other podcasts are, I just want to help you. I want to help you get to heaven. You're not going to get there when you're following the doctrines and commandments of men. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you want to come back and listen on Sunday when we talk about pure and undefiled religion before God is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world, I think you will find James 1.27 to be a good study, especially when it's in context, because the majority of the time I've ever heard teaching out of that context or read teaching out of that context, it's been wrong. So I invite you to come back and listen. Thank you for your time.